here's the thing. So for pro, being prolific, this and this can work for bands, this can work for visual artists, having a yes and no column. It's really easy to have a ton of yeses. Mm-hmm. I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do that. Blah, blah, blah. But like the more robust of a no column you have, the more uh, vibrant those yeses become. Mm-hmm. Like I am not a Motown band. I am not a bass music DJ. I am not a singer songwriter. Okay, now that I know I'm not doing that, that saves me a lot of time in barking up the wrong trees. Mm -hmm. You know, I know I'm not a max for live person. I that does not excite me at all. And even like when Ableton is paying me to do a clinic, if somebody talks about Max for Live, I'm just like, that's part of being a good teacher. It's like, hey, you know what? That's not my thing. Yeah. And the one little thing I use for Max for Live is the thing that came with the program and it's called LFO and I use it, you know, that's yeah. it. So <laughs> I think it's about, yeah, like the yes and no column. And I have like when I really got clear on what my no column was, the yeses became so much more vibrant yeah. and they felt within reach. Yeah. And then and that's how you get the snowball, you yeah. know. What's up, man? Good to see you. Good to see you, brother. On a scale of one to 10, how, how plur are you? I'm a nine-two dad on a Saturday plural. Yeah, yeah, man. We're in <laughs> the studio. We're in this beautiful home of yours. Yeah, loving it. Hanging out with your wife and your kid, mm-hmm. your beautiful daughter. Um, it's good to good to be with you. Been trying to make this happen for a while. I'm excited to help tell your story and dig in. Definitely, and, uh, we go way back. We do. We got a lot of stories. Yeah, I mean, just to tell that story, like we got introduced through a mutual friend, Josh Smith. Uh-huh. Um, Dallas, a, Texas. Dallas, Texas. Represent and. Um, you know, I had started the label and I think we were very much still trying to find our direction and, and musical identity. Mm-hmm. And he suggested your music and, and I checked it out. And I think for me, always with Gravitas, I was excited about people that were not just playing electronic music, but sure. multi-instrumentalists. Which, right. Hybrid. Yeah. Which I thought, you know, bands like Beats and Tea were always really inspiring to me. So great. Yeah, yeah put out some of your music and uh-huh. uh, just build that relationship. And you've been there almost since day one with us. Since day one. And actually, before I forget, I have a really funny uh, Beats Antique story. Let's do uh, it. Anytime I d- see David Satori, he, we always joke. It's usually after like a couple of cocktails. He'll say, remember when I used to open for you? <laughs> and so the story is, it was 2004. I was in my first touring band, which was a 10-piece mambo latin band called cabaret diosa he played in like a nine-piece afrobeat band Mm. and at the independent in san francisco he opened his band opened up for my band that's so long before either of us were making beats he was opening for me that's awesome (laughs) that's a great story yeah (laughs) i love that well and and so i mean yeah like you had such a career man where do we even begin like um i mean i guess try to try to start just (laughs) <laughs> a little bit at the beginning. How did you, I mean, obviously you've been playing music forever, but like, is there right. anything that jumps out from you of like the start yeah. of your career? This right here. Okay. So I posted this on my Facebook page the other day. Um, this is a cassette. I, my band was called Naked Sam. The name of the EP is Warm Like the Moon. This is the first thing I ever produced. Nice. And I produced this on a Tascam four track recorder that my mom got me. I learned how to do overdubs and bouncing, you know, because you ran out of tracks. Yeah. And so um, this, and we would then go to the music store and buy blank tapes. And then we literally do the two tapes in oh, the boom man. box. And yeah. we had our master and we had our dupes <laughs> and we'd sell these out of the trunk of my car on the lot when we would play shows. And at the time we were like barely old enough to drive. I think I was the only one that had a license in a car in the band. Mm. And so most of the time we were playing like church basements or like high school auditoriums. But uh, that was kind of like the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. And I think more than any like one particular player or genre that blew my mind, I've just always like been super intrigued by guitarists, Mm -hmm. whether it's Eddie Van Halen or then like by high school, my jazz teacher hit me to people like George Benson and Wes Montgomery who are doing the big jazz box thing. I loved like shoegaze music because I thought it was really interesting with the like the way they use pedals. Mm. And then I got way into like bluegrass and classical and had like kind of a purist phase and then like played in jam bands and did the Latin thing. And so for me, actually, with what I do is cloud core now and what I used to do is DVS. It's like it's really just 
a capstone of like all the mm. guitar influences that I've had over the years, yeah. you know, and I don't have one particular like God. I've had people that have influenced me greatly, but there's, it's just like, I like, I love Bela Fleck too, you know, and he doesn't even play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, what, what you said about cloud chord and DBS being in capstone, I think that's such a, like a metaphor for, for life. Like we're always building on our previous work. Right. And the, the, the hard part is sort of, especially as a musician, reinventing yourself and finding that next thing and right. figuring out how can you leverage, uh, like I've done this in my business and my like sort of entrepreneurs, how can I leverage what I've created or learned in these last chapters of my life? And then, that into something new that's still interesting and inspiring so right. it seems like you've been really able to do that with with your career again and again and again yeah i think that's actually you know like one of the beauties of experience and age is it gives you wisdom yeah and that um that it's like when you see an interview with somebody like quincy jones and like he could still do interviews and tell new stories. Yeah. You know no what I doubt. mean? Because he has that many stories. Yeah. And to me, like that's kind of the fascinating part of of evolving into life is mm. you have more stories and you have a reservoir of mm. knowledge and wisdom and lessons, you know? Yeah. Love that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Quincy Jones. I mean, for us, like our 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 path have you know, to some extent diverged a little bit as you, as you were DVS in your sure. project. And then we did your, uh, Gravitas did a record with, with you cloud Chord when you uh -huh. created that called imprint. Uh -huh. And then shortly thereafter, you, you sort of took some time to sort of really cook and, and, and build that project. Right. And then, signed with with chill hop and did some records with them right tell, tell me about that piece because i think that was a, a really pivotal moment in your career and we've seen like so many great things happen from that yeah 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 so yeah so just to be clear on what you said like we first started working together when i did dbs yeah. and so there's a bunch of dbs stuff on gravitas original albums and remixes and then when I rebranded as Cloud Chord, which is a whole nother story, probably a podcast in and of itself <laughs> yeah. called Branding. Branding the podcast. <laughs> uh, then the first record that I did as Cloud Chord in 2017 was called Imprint. And you were a great help on that. And that almost is more of a post-DVS record than a Cloud Chord record. It's like really on the borders. Yeah. And it's because I was still writing for the performance avenue in life because growing up as a guitarist that's kind of what you do you know like when i was young like nobody talked about publishing it was about like gigs and how to get a record deal and right. to me like the people who did film scoring were boring they weren't nearly as cool as eddie van halen or right. exciting for a 13 year old you mm -hmm. know i want to see like you know, the <laughs> <laughs> right i don't care about like <laughs> right you know yeah so but so i had always in my entire life even throughout college always had written for the performance outlets mm. bluegrass jazz uh jam bands latin everything rock and roll uh, i even had a klezmer duo for a while <laughs> and i'm not even jewish <laughs> but uh then I kind of had this hit of like, okay, so this is something I've been doing my whole life, writing for the stage. What happens if I don't write for the stage? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I have to do cinematic Hollywood scores. There's plenty of music out there that it isn't written for the stage that is, that is closer to who I am. Yeah. And so, and I looked back at my era in DVS and I, I took a real good, uh, emotional inventory of the tunes that had really, really touched people based on fan feedback. Yeah. You know, comments, DMs, talking to people at the shows. And a lot of times it wasn't the songs that I was playing live. People say, oh, I wish you had played, you know, Bending Bloom or Bright Beginning, which are like two of the more chill ones, things like that. And so I took an inventory and I was like, okay, so when I'm not even trying to do what I've always done. These are the things that are really touching people. Mm. And, and I also took a, a step back at like, what do I naturally excel at? 
And the answer, and I thought of a specific moment in my 20s when I was playing a lot of bluegrass and I was at a jam and most of bluegrass is like really fat. That kind of stuff. And somebody called a waltz. It was really so like... And I remember there like being seven players in the circle that passed on the solo because it was too slow and pretty melodic and they didn't know what to do with it. Oh, so, wow. And it came to me and I was like, give me like seven minutes because yeah. I could just, you know, <laughs> go. you know, I was like, I just had ideas for days. And that moment always stuck with me of like, that's kind of who I am. I have an easy time writing wide open, beautiful melodic stuff. So based on like the emotional inventory that I took from DVS and that specific memory, I decided to double down on the pretty melodic stuff and still have beats, you know, and still be compared to ambient music. I guess it's still dance music. It's all relative, right? But that's what, that's the kind of capstone of that experience is taking all those memories and those inventories and realizing okay, I'm not going to write for the stage. I'm going to put an emphasis on beautiful, melodic stuff that really touches people's souls. And so, uh, but I still kind of wanted to have a little bit of funk to it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so right at the time I had met Luke from Soul Food Horns and we had some mutual friends and we did Koi Pond 2 and we kind of just did it for ourselves. And then somebody introduced me to somebody affiliated with the Chill Hop label, which is in Rotterdam, Netherlands. And I submitted it to them with no expectations and they loved it. And they took, they took it up and it, I mean, honestly, it changed my life. It changed like all my streaming algorithms. It changed all like the uh, similar artists on Spotify. And then instantly I was like catapult into this entirely new pool or community of producers that I kind of didn't even know existed before that time. Yeah. And they were all doing the stuff that I was doing. And then I just kind of ran with it. After Love that. that. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the the huge takeaway for me, which I haven't heard you say that before in that way, is the emotional inventory, which is kind of what we were saying is like, we get these chapters in our lives and we get an opportunity to say like, who, do, what do I want to do next? Right. And we don't get that many in our lives. So to- Take a A long look and see. I mean, really, we could do it all the time if we wanted, but it's rare and there is sort of these moments where you get them and say like... It's rare that you have the bandwidth to truly do it. Yeah. Or the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even like like in some cases, like there was a time where my wife sort of took a step back from working and got trained to be a yoga teacher. And there was like this like these couple weeks window where she really took time to like reflect and... And I think that's really special time. And so mm-hmm. when we're given that, I think it's really important to, to like what you say, take that emotional inventory and be like, what, what's worked? What, what have, you know, really listened to the universe. And, and mm-hmm. that's, that's amazing, man. What a, what right. a great thing. And so, yeah, it was, and I mean, for, for, for me as Gravitas, like all we've ever wanted is to see the artist succeed and for to see all of a sudden things really take off for you is like, mm-hmm. wow, yes. Like he's going for it. And at that same time too, like sometimes it is a little bit of right time, right place where all of a sudden Spotify and these, right. these YouTube radios and their, their YouTube channel, like everything kind of <clears throat> hitting at once, like, wow. And to yeah. go, to go with that wave, but doing it organically of who you okay. truly were, right. You're not just jumping on the trap wave because you wanted to be a part of that scene. It's like, damn son, where'd you find this? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I love that, man. That's so cool. And so now, and so now I feel like you're maybe not in that world as, I mean, you are, but you're also kind of spreading your wings and, and, and kind of returning somewhat to your roots and being Mm -hmm. able to be even more fully, fully uh, expressed across all, all genres and styles. Yeah. yeah. It's a little bit of a like Phoenix rising from the ashes situation. Yeah. But now that I can, I can go back to at times writing for the stage Mm -hmm but not feel trapped by it yeah. and still have things where I have no intention of performing that live yeah. and they can be on the same EP. That's great. You know, and like really, I feel like you have like ultimate freedom to just play and write. Yeah. 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 And I think it took me a while and I've gotten better at being on stage at 11 PM on a Friday night in a club full of people that want to dance and they're smoking and drinking, blah, blah, blah. 
being able to like deliver them enough energy to where like it was like a yeah yeah but still be my voice and mm-hmm. still be the beautiful melodic stuff yeah. and it's it's definitely a tightrope balance yeah but you know i guess you get once you do the tightrope enough you learn how to balance it yeah and you get good at it well and i'll i'll play some of the b-roll from you just recently opened up for odd and so uh-huh. it was you random rap and then odd mm-hmm. and I thought you carried the room great. I mean, it was a rainy night, and so we moved it inside the control room at Empire in Austin. But, but even without that, like you had moments where you like jumped down off stage. Right, so right. You, you have a bag of tricks. You know how to perform, and and um, and I also think like there is a return to dynamics. Maybe this is more mm-hmm. in our or in our age group or whatnot. But I think people are ready for that, and like yes, especially and you you know how to play the room and kind of like vibe off of that. So. That was cool. And I, I think I think more people need to see that. It's sort of like um, if it's always just like full on 100% LED crazy energy, mm-hmm. then everyone thinks that's like what we have to do on stage. But right. if you're bringing the like, wow, that worked really well. Right. You know, especially in the electronic world. I think in a band setting, it's people are more set to, to have these dynamic moments. But right. right, yeah. right. So I, I was really excited to see how well that worked because I hadn't seen you play in a, in a while. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, now I like, I, I generally speaking, I compose my sets so that they're kind of a big crescendo. Mm. And I will literally sometimes start a set that's just like... You can still hear chattering. People are like, is he sound checking or is this the beginning of the show? <laughs> yeah. You know, and then yeah. and then I'll do some stuff where we get like yeah. that's the loop, and then I'll go to the tablet. And then it'll go, and then I'll, I'll always like work it out to where it's about to go into the first tune. You know, nice. it's like the same key or whatever. And then and then it bumps, you know, and then as you saw, I also like to end the show with guitar. It's like yeah. bring it back to where it began. And that's something I've had real good luck with is just like I've been in rooms of like seven fifty thousand people. And if you know how to command them and give them instructions and it's and and it's not too long of a period of time that you expect them to be quiet, you can like really command them. Mm. And so I've like I did every set last year, I ended with solo guitar and I ended at the front of the stage. And it was really cool because it's like after giving them beats for an hour to come back to just like a simple like, oh, that's very clearly, you know, he's literally playing one note right now. You know, it's a very special thing. And then you end and you're like, ah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And and I think too, especially in the electronic setting is like, you're letting the instrument do some of the work and heavy lifting and, and, right. and it's like, you know, we're, we're almost programmed to like, look at the stage and, you know, there's just like consistency. And so to pull that away right. again with the dynamics, it's like, wow, like you, you really did pull people's attention. Right. I love that. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And so talk about, let's talk about the the biscuits and kind of what's going on there and how yeah, that yeah. has tied in. Like that's been a, You've known those guys for a while, and now you're you're helping them do some songwriting, and and in, it started with engineering, right? You're helping them do some studio. Engineering. Yeah, yeah. So for those of you at home following along, he's, you're referring to the jam band, the Disco Biscuits. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tier two A jam band. <laughs> I'm a professional jam band tier. I, they're gonna love I said that. That's an ing- ongoing joke of ours. <laughs> it's like, what tier jam band are you? It's all based on ticket sales. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my joke with them is I am Cloudcord is a one F jam band. <laughs> one because I have more streams than almost every jam band, but F because I can't really sell as many tickets as the rest <laughs> of them. <laughs> so they I knew all those guys from 10 years ago when I was DVS yeah. and living in Brooklyn. And I opened or played shows with all of their side projects. So I met all of them individually outside the band. And in one way or another, I've played their festival campus go four or five times. So they were doing, in 2019, they had decided um, what they called set break is over, which means like they were coming back they had renewed, reinvigorated energy for the band. They had kind of been on autopilot for about a decade where they were essentially a legacy jam band. Mm-hmm. They had been around for 20 years at that point. They were, they knew it worked and it was on auto drive, right? 
and they weren't writing any new material. And then there was this reinvigorated energy of things they wanted to go back and double down on. One was new material and the other was like trying out a bunch of new things live then incorporate electronics. And so they have a side project called Tractor Beam, which is all instrumental. Initially, it was just like the biscuits without microphones is how they referred to it. And it was like a way that they could play their own late nights and stuff like that okay. without get around the radius clause sure. and all that kind of stuff. And But they wanted to do a thing where they played a tractor beam segment every night. And so it was like, instead of it like being tractor beam late night, every night in the second set, they did a tractor beam bit. Got it. And they had all of these lofty goals for things that they wanted to do with Ableton inside of it. And so really their vision was they, as a live band, they wanted to try to authentically recreate portions of famous DJ mixes. Mm. So like we had a Carl Craig set from Ultra in like 2016. And it was like, they were going to try to do like timestamps, like 25 minutes to 50 minutes, like that part of the mix they wanted to try to authentically recreate to the best of their ability as a band. Pretty cool, right? Pretty yeah. cool vision. Nice. Um, so, but they had a lot of questions, like, <laughs> as to, like how to pull that off yeah. and just not sound like a jam band hacking at it. So that's a long answer for like, that was the original idea is they, they knew that I worked with live instruments so I could speak that language, but that I also did the Ableton stuff so that I could, really answer a lot of questions and do some consulting on that end. So 2019 into 2020 to basically right when the pandemic started, I was like on call for them when they were on the road and they were trying out these new things. And there was like, I think about 10 of them that we worked out together. And it was, it was even everything from me, like me arranging vocal cues and their playback of like, okay, now you got to go to the square wave patch because we're coming to this part that's a B minor. Like lots of, because there's a lot of moving parts to authentically recreate a DJ set. So that was the deal. And then they were, they were about to have like their best year. And then 2020 happened and Mm. we all know what happened in 2020. Yeah. So, but we all stayed in touch because we like working together. And then two summers ago, I just went and visited them in their homes in Philly just as a friend. And, but I had an idea. I was like, let's just go in the studio because we've never actually done that. I've just consulted you with Ableton. So let's go in the studio and let's just see what happens. And so Alan, their drummer, lives in Denver. So I knew he wouldn't be there. So I basically came into that situation as their drummer Mm. and I made like 40 house beats in preparation for this session. And I was like, you guys go and I'll just be the drummer and, and, and I'll be your engineer. And so they just played free open for like three hours and I was their DJ slash their engineer and we had a great time. And then like one thing led to another and it kind of snowballed. And then we released three instrumentals last year and they were the first songs that they had released since like 2010 or something like that. 10 years, so maybe 2013. And so it's really snowballed since then. And now there's a 14 song album that we're working on that's about 80% complete. So it's so it essentially started as their Ableton tech nice, and, or their Ableton consultant, yeah. you know, cause I wasn't always on the road. Um, and then turned into their producer. So that's amazing. Yeah. What, uh, what, I guess what lessons have you learned along the way? Like what, what has been the biggest surprise or thing that you didn't expect to come from that? I think that, you know, part of the thing that we talked about with like the transition of me not writing for the stage is I also wanted to stop overthinking things. Like I got fast enough and skilled enough at mixing and mastering that like Koi Pond 2, I made that whole album in like four weeks. Wow. So, but that's, that's skill married with me refusing to overthink. Okay. And so I, I have a little bit of a common like with like the Mad Libs of the world that I like. I like raw beats that are kind of sometimes if you leave it vulnerable and raw and imperfect, it like really jumps off the needle a little bit harder mm-hmm. than something that you've manicured for three and a half years, right? right? And I think the fans can actually intuitively feel that in their heart a lot of times, yeah. right? So I'm very much currently of that world and that philosophy of like 
it's done. Work fast. Work it's fast. Done. Call it done. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's just I, music. It's not precious, right? Totally. Like I have probably forty tunes on DSPs that inside Ableton, it's like under twenty tracks. Yeah. You know, because it was done. Like sure, I could have turned it into a symphony, but that's not yeah. the the goal there. <laughs> my my point though is that they're kind of on the other side for two reasons. One, because they haven't recorded music in so long that they're a little more precious about it. And as their producer, I need to get out of the way and respect that. Yeah. And two, they are used to the stimulation and feedback loop of lasers, light show, roaring audience, playing things way faster than you'd play them in the studio. Right. Energy. Yeah. Live energy. So you marry those two, and it's very different than the Cloud Corridor, Mad Lib, Raw approach. So that's been a real interesting lesson for me as a producer is how to instill some of these things upon them of like, guys, it is, it's not going to get any better at this point. We're just creating a remix, which yeah. I've said to them many times. I like that. You know, yeah. now we're working on the remix guys. Yeah. Like, the tune's already done. <laughs> yeah. But like, so instilling and encouraging them to not overthink things, but then also getting out of the way as a producer and kind of being an open, empty vessel to be think like, okay, so may, maybe they are right for this situation. And maybe the tune isn't done because there have been times where I was like, it's done. And then four generations later, that was actually really the one, Yeah, you know, and mm. we just had to see it through. And by the th end of the third generation, I was like, yeah. <laughs> can we just call it done can we just call it done but we saw it through and it was like wow that was really rewarding mm. so that makes sense I mean that's a very organic um, you know natural relationship that has evolved do you think you would like to do more of that for other artists for other artists yeah if it came up organically like yeah. that yeah I don't aspire to be a Rick Rubin or a Quincy and that like I'm always producing other people because clearly I have my own thing and, yeah. and honestly like at the end of the day, I'm totally happy to just sit at home and play guitar all day. Some yeah. days I don't even turn on the computer and I just like play this all day because that's like my original love. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to me, it would have to be like in, inspiring and organic yeah. to do. And I'm sure it'll happen at some point. Yeah. You know? Like it sounds like it is the right relationship with the right people. You've earned their trust. You know, like you can't just jump into to that situation with a band and, and start to disrupt right. disrupt things you really earn that trust right yeah, yeah a trust and and commitment and endurance yeah you know i mean there's there's probably other producers that would have quit on them and there's probably other bands that would have quit on me mm. let's go back to the dvs name i think sure. i mean you said it could be a whole podcast <laughs> i don't think we have to do that but that was a big transition for you, right? Sure. You had this name that was the your initials, Derek uh -huh. Van Scoten. Uh -huh. It had dots. It was D dot V, v dot S. Asterisk. Asterisk. What could go wrong? Yeah, no problem there. <laughs> um, I mean, for us as the label, some of your name even caused problems with like databases. Sure. Like it wouldn't, you yeah, couldn't yeah, put yeah. that character in. Um, and it wasn't all of them. It was just some of them. Yeah. Which kind of made it worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know. But I love the new name. I think that that it's, you know, for how challenging the old one was, this one's so, so good. Right, it, right, right. It really brings, and that's not an easy thing to do these days, to find a word that isn't taken, that you can find on right. socials and get a domain for, and like, right. that has any semblance of a meaning or concept behind it. That right. Yeah, so. Totally. <laughs> I think about that a lot in the day of the internet, like. You couldn't start a band called Toto right now. No. You know what I mean? Or whatever. You <laughs> yeah. know, but I think of so many like bands from the 60s, 70s, and 80s that yeah. like would struggle like crazy for SEO right now. Yeah. But it was a different time. <laughs> the band. The band. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. Funny. So so uh, yeah, I mean, I guess what what <laughs> do you have any advice for people? Yeah, I mean <laughs> like how to pick a brand that works for you. Like, was there anything that you, that you learned along that way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I did, it was one of the very few times in life where I was ultra patient with the whole thing. Because like you said, you don't get that many do-overs. Yeah. Like you could do it as much as you want, but like it wears out its welcome. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I was, I knew I was going to do this. 
for all of 2015, which was, and this is the classic thing. 2015 was by far the best year of DVS ever. And I didn't give a fuck about it. <laughs> <laughs> like I got to play LIB. Like I got to play That's all right. these great festivals. <laughs> and like I had great sets, tents full of people. And I was just like, Phoning it in, playing guitar solos on top of other people's disco tracks. Did not care at all. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Probably why I did That so might well. be the lesson. That might be right, the lesson. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what I did is I really took my time and I had a sticky note on my phone for about a year. And anytime I had a good name, I put it on this one note. And I was well into the hundreds for ideas. Mm. And so I told myself towards the end of the year, that what I was going to do is I was going to try to pick a name and I wasn't trying to book um, any more shows after a certain point. And I think art outside, it was actually my last show. Yeah. So, um, but I, it's funny, nobody there except maybe like you and Cole knew that it was my last show and, yeah. and as DVS, but I knew for sure, you know, and it's so fitting Remember, it got rained because out. That was a heck of a storm, halfway yeah. through my set. It was like done, and we're done. I was like, "This is so, <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> this is highly poetic yeah. right now." Like nature came in. And that just was a scary. That was a scary storm. It was, was a scary, a scary moment there for a second. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so, but what I did is, um, I you know did the whole gamut of all kinds of names. One time, I read all of my unused names to a couple friends backstage. And it literally took me like four minutes to get through all the names. Um, not that value matters, but just to show you like how much I was thinking about this and throwing things against the yeah. wall and being patient, right? And, but my rule was, it can't be taken anywhere. You know, anywhere that matters. Mm -hmm. So like there was a couple that I, like I almost went with cloud color and it was taken on Twitter. And I was like, I can't be cloud color music on Twitter. That defeats the whole freaking purpose, right. right? So that was a big thing. It's like, it can't be, it can't be taken in any of the places that it mattered because I want, I think the biggest thing as a name is you want it to be easily remembered. Ideally, it's poetically describing your name. Yeah. Ideally. And it needs to be, there needs to be so little competition with your name that people can stumble upon you, you know? And those were all the things other than DVS being easy to remember. Like I literally heard hundreds of times where people, we saw you at such and such, we loved your music and we couldn't find your music. Oh, yeah. What a freaking nightmare. 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 Yeah. But now as Cloud Chord, I'll meet people who are like, oh, you're Cloud Chord? I've heard of you. Like, I've stumbled <laughs> upon your thing for blah, blah, blah. Like, this happened at South by Southwest like half a dozen times. Nice. Like, some random cats came up to me on the street like, yo, man, you're Cloud Chord, right? I follow your Instagram. Yeah. And I was like, killer. Yeah. And that's be probably because they stumbled upon me from somewhere yeah. else. And there, wasn't, there weren't any other Cloud Chords. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's also just the facts of of the world we live in and the digital age of how, how much that matters. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. I mean, I've experienced that with my own last name. Like it's <laughs> Breda. Right. 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 Um, people call me breed. breed and right. I like, I've kind of not given up completely on correcting people, but right. it's challenging, you know, right. and, right. and people don't know how to spell it. <laughs> and so it's like, it is a real big lesson. I think, uh, you know, there's name checker, Dot com. Uh -huh. I think it's missing some vowels, but you can see, right. it'll show you like where all it's available. And so right. I definitely did that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Spend some time with it. Yeah. That's amazing. And yeah, the previous name DVS was, it was just, there were so many challenges. Plus Derek Vincent Smith. Right. Right. <laughs> that was yeah. There the was joke. like, you know, they, in the, in the business world, they talk about indirect and direct competition. Yeah. So direct is like people that are literally in the same Field as you. So for me, direct competition would be other music names. Mm -hmm. Indirect competitions would be a science brand. Mm -hmm. So with problem with DVS is that there was both. Mm -hmm. There was direct competition and that there was a bunch of bands that named DVS and there was like four rappers named Rappers, DBS. yeah. And so like the biggest thing was there was a British rapper named DVS who was crushing YouTube. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to break through here with yeah. this name because he just runs the show. Yeah. 
And even after that, then you get indirect competition of like digital video systems and all these other brands. The shoe, the shoe band. The shoes <laughs> and like, and people always thought it was pretty lights. I was like, honestly, he's like the least of my worries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that'd be great. That would be great yeah. if that was it. Yeah, I'm pretty light adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Oh man. So, but that was, that was like, it was kind of a perfect storm of badness with DVS is that there was, incredible amount of both direct and indirect competition yeah. and i was like even if i have a miley cyrus feature and i'm number one on spotify <laughs> i'm still gonna have issues yeah <laughs> yeah know? that's a good way to play it out like if you're if you're struggling with something like that you got to take it to that like far for, foregone conclusion and be like okay even if the best thing in the world happened this this problem would still be a problem Right. So might as well get ahead of it. My, yeah. yeah. And the thing is, I really wanted to release music under my name. If I was just like a producer behind the scenes, it would have not been nearly as important, mm -hmm. you know, because there's lots of producers that like Flood is one, for example, that works in the <laughs> rock world. Like he would have, if he wants to release music as Flood, he's going to have some issues. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm that. glad you, I'm glad you landed on Cloud Court. I think it's a great name. I think it's a great, there's some great lessons there. I just, I wanted to talk about a little bit too about your, like your journey with Ableton because you've been such a part of that community and they've obviously supported you. And right. I think it is, uh, you've, you know, you, you're Ableton certified, right? Mm -hmm. And, and you saw obviously probably like next to your guitar, your primary tool in the, in the studio. Yep. And I feel like you've, you've got a level of mastery of it that, that many don't. Right. Um, I don't know. I just like what speaking of. yeah hold that thought hold the phone live and direct from berlin uh oh this is my ableton certification oh nice <laughs> nice <laughs> long time coming huh there you go there it is. very cool nice man certified for 10 and 11 Eventually it'll be 12 and 13 and 14. Do you have to re you have to recertify? You have to recertify. Got it. So that's that's a cool thing about that is yeah. that you can't just be one and done. Yeah. Because music technology is always evolving. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's that's been an amazing journey too, um, in a lot of ways for maybe for confidence and for realness with myself of like continuing to dig in as a producer and not just like resting on my laurels. Yeah. You know, like, okay, I've been successful with chill hop. I'm just going to do that because right. it's easy. And I know how to do it. And I have basically a template at this point. Like, yeah. I don't think that way. Well, and I, I guess inside the question is it's Ableton live and it's really, I mean, I think when they drew it up and when they envisioned it, it was for someone like you, like right. it's supposed to be the full experience of all instruments running through it and all of that it's not just a beat making software right which up until that point like you had pro tools but you weren't probably going to take that on stage you weren't and now to see what people have done with ableton i know that to some to us it feels common but without ableton like think of where we would be as right as a culture like it has opened up so many doors and so I right. just, I love that they've been a community that have supported you. And then it's something like you've really found at this point, it's an instrument that gets out of the way and allows you to actually create fully, right, right. fully on the stage and in the studio. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> if someone goes, looks at your, your catalog right now, you're prolific. Mm -hmm. You're writing and releasing a lot of music um, and creatives or new producers, like they get gear lust, they get excited. Obviously you've got a ton of gear, but right. it's like, Master that one thing, get really good at your dog, get really good at your instrument, get really good at, mm -hmm. you know, those fundamentals. And then the, then the creativity right really starts to flow inside of that. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah, I think there's some patience there too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't rush that. Yeah, yeah. And you know what I do too with like new gear? Um, it's not set up right now, but it's usually over in that corner. I set up a table and I call it my R&D table. Okay. And so... If I'm not on the road on the weekends, I don't produce on the weekends. All I do is R&D. Okay. And so, like, if I get a new pedal, like, the weekend is dedicated for me getting to learn that pedal. Nice. And, like, really digging in. So, it's very tangible. Yeah. So that, because it's very easy to, like, 
you know, I see people like, oh, I'm going to set up a studio and I just spent 17 grand and I got a profit and I got this and I got that. And I was like, yeah, and you don't know how to work any of it, Damn. let alone write a song in the first place, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for me, it's very important that like I try not, because I get overwhelmed mm-hmm. by new things and I feel like I'm wasting money and then I feel like I'm on a treadmill in life. Yeah. Like I'm just working really hard, but I'm in one place, right? Yeah. So it's for me, it's like when I buy a new pedal, it's like it goes on the R&D table there you go. and I really try to dig into it. And it's got to like earn its slot in your lineup of, of tools, right? Exactly. And exactly. You're going to spend the time to actually figure it out. Exactly. That's that's smart. Like, that's smart. like Chase Bliss came out with a new pedal this week. This is a Chase Bliss pedal right here. They're like one of my favorite pedal companies. And I was like, should I buy it? I was like, I can afford it, but like, I I have a talk box one for my left still that I haven't mastered yet. So yeah. I need to get through that one first before nice. I even bother. Smart. So I'm not going to be like part of the craze rush, you know. And there's a discipline to that that I think is is a maturity. The other thing I'm hearing inside of that is like you tr- you treat the weekend as some R&D time, which means you're treating the week as work. 100%. I mean, you're showing up in the studio to put in hours and work and 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm in this room at 7 a.m. almost every day. Mm-hmm. I start, I play like a couple hours of guitar, just like keep my craft. And that to me, the guitar is like the tree of my trunk, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So that like keeps me in shape, keeps me motivated. And then by the late morning, I'm producing until about dinner time. And then I like a lot of times I don't even produce at night unless it's like a crazy deadline or something. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay, and then the thing is, is when you, that's like the no column too, because I have those no columns when I'm here and I'm doing this, I'm way more engaged. I'm not like checking Twitter and checking my phone. I'm like, oh, I like spent four great hours. On Real, hours. Today. Real, Real hours. Real hours. Yeah. Like really yeah. made progress. Yeah. Like my phone is in the studio right now and it's very rare that I'm, it's just here because we're hanging out. Yeah. But like. Monday through Friday when I'm working, yeah. like my phone is on my bedroom. <laughs> Those are excellent. I mean, that's an excellent point. I mean, I've, I've heard this advice again and again, but especially for the phone or these notifications, I mean, it takes a lot of effort to get into that focused, creative zone yeah. space. It's fragile. And it takes almost nothing to pull you out. Yes. And the phones are really designed to do that again and again it's and totally again. It's- yeah. So it's, yeah, dopamine <laughs> crack. So well done, man. Yeah. And I think, so that's, I mean, I think that's great advice on how to be prolific. Right. Carve out your time, be protective of that space. I also Mm -hmm. like that point of warming up. I mean, Mm -hmm. is it, is some of that physical or is that mostly mental? Is it, is it your sort of your musical muscle? You're just getting kind of like getting warmed up and going and just enjoying, enjoying that process. It's all of it, you know? Nice. I also like one of my new year's resolutions is, you know, like in the guitar world, like speed kind of gets a bad name, you know? that kind of whole thing. Cause it's seen as like overly flashy mm-hmm. and void of substance. But like, I've been playing for long enough and clearly I know how to write melodies that like resonate with people. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had an aha last year because my live sets were ending at higher tempos and I felt myself running out of gas at the end of sets. Mm. And I, it became really clear to me at what BPMs were my physical limitations mm. on this instrument. Like okay. when I get into this speed, it's later in the set, so I'm a little bit tired. But I also like don't, literally don't have the chops to pull some things off at okay. the speeds. So my New Year's resolution was to be able to do certain things at certain speeds by the end of the year. Okay. So that's part of my morning routine too, is it's like guitar pushups almost of like, I want to be able to do certain things by the end of the year. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think having goals, setting goals and like sort of understanding, like I've actually been working on that as well. Like there's kind of a couple ways to get better at stuff, like lean into what you're good at. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, and this is the, for me, it's more like a physical, like I've never been a good runner, never had a lot of endurance and I've been having a lot of fun working out and exercising, but I will get gassed out. Right. And so I've started running and, uh-huh. and the improvement that I've seen just in a little bit of time on working on my weakest spot right. has been really eye-opening. I was like, whoa, okay. So don't, so it's like, don't shy away from the things that you're bad at the, where you have the ability to, to learn and get better at things pretty quickly mm-hmm. it, with some focused effort. 
Yes. And then all of a sudden, like that improvement, that weak spot, when you shore that up, all of a sudden the other things can grow again a little bit more because they're sort of limited by that one, that right. one piece. So that, I think that's great advice too. Wow. Nice. Um, I mean, with, with the family, like you said, uh, you're having your daughter, like mm -hmm. it's, you know, she shows up in your videos and, mm -hmm. and you can just see, like, obviously you're, I feel like, you know, speaking as a friend, you're a great dad. I can see how much you and your wife, like intentionally raise your child and like put that at the the forefront of almost everything you do. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, and I think, I think the point that you made about that, that fear I've heard this a bunch, like having children brings things into focus mm -hmm. and it allows you to say like, you know what? That's not important to me. I think when people are in their, maybe their early, early periods of things, and maybe they don't have children and they've got all this energy, endless, almost endless energy, right, right, right. endless time. It's easy to chase a million things and not be able to really pick one, but having, having a kid or, or just finding that internal like, this is really what I truly want. Like I saw that with Closey. It was like, this is what I want. She right. was like singularly focused on this one thing. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot, of, there's a lot of power in that. Right. There's a lot of power in being able to say, this is what I want. And then inside of that is a bunch of no's. Right. right? And for friends or people around that circle, it can be frustrating. It's like, well, they never come out and eat or they don't come to the, mm -hmm. the party. It's like, that doesn't serve me. Like I'm on a mission. Like, what right. am I really trying to do is this. So, right, right, yeah. Right. And I think that's, there is a cost. There is a, a challenge to, to being singularly focused or very focused on something. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have friends that like, they kind of know that, unless they invite me to come play with them, I'm probably not coming to the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is a hard part with music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go out tonight. Right. <laughs> so I was, I was talking to you the other day and you had mentioned this term, the lo-fi layup. Lo-fi layup. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And just an easy release. And, and I think there's a lot to talk about there. I mean, personally for me, I love albums and I love <laughs> larger pieces of work. And especially for the label, we've always wanted Gravitas. We've always wanted to like support that. Mm -hmm. And I think with the success of Spotify and streaming in general, like we've like, we've gone in sort of these full circles of like going back to singles, right. which if we know our musical history, I mean, that's kind of how things started. Right. You'd have these 45s, you could fit one song on there and it was relatively short. Right. Um, I mean, what, what's your, what's your thoughts on this? Because it's like, do you, are you good with just like a standalone song? Like it seems like you're, or are you hoping that you can tell longer stories? I will always be romantic that mm -hmm. likes longer stories. Ideally, every song that I make belongs to a bigger family that equates to at least an EP, mm -hmm. if not an album. Mm -hmm. um, you can't always get that way, especially like a great example of a standalone single is just a collab. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I have a collab with East Forest and he does mostly ambient meditation music and I do my thing. And what we did was definitely in between our thing, you know, and we're both okay with it being a standalone. So that's a great example of when things are fine being a standalone. Yeah. Single. Another, another example is if you're trying label out and it's like, Hey, let's just do one. Let's just go on one date. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> you one. You know what I mean? I like that. Yes. Because then you're not, the label isn't and be, you know, emboldened to me or beholden to me yeah. in case I'm a nightmare Yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that works too. Um, yeah, the the term lo-fi layup, it's like it's what I came up with recently in terms of like let's get more points on the board. Yeah. You know? And it's it's that whole thing, it's the mad lib approach of like, let's just release some raw beats. Let's yeah. do like not everything has to be part of this giant epic rollout, you yeah. know? And and we can just release some fun things that are sometimes a minute 47 long, you know? And it reminds me of, you know, you're talking about like, we came from the single world, you know, if we go back to like, you know, 45s and then before that wax cylinders and all that, like there's that phrase, I don't know who said it, but uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. <laughs> and it's the same way, mm -hmm. you know, because I hear a lot of musicians 
griping about single culture. Mm -hmm. But if you do your homework, it actually originated, the entire recording industry Mm. originated as a single culture. So this isn't a new thing. If we zoom way out, the golden era of albums, whenever that was, it's almost like a Make America Great, I think. I think it's like, when, <laughs> when, you, was, that? when was that? I would say the 90s. Right. I would say the 90s. Right. But still, that's still major label. Like, true. Like, it's it was still very authoritarian. Yeah. You know what I mean? It oh, wasn't in the artist. It had like, a very dark side. A Absolutely. very dark yeah, side. Yeah. And lots of plastic. Lots of Lots of plastic. Damage. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of powder on desks. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of huge budgets. Lots of Porsches, yeah. Lots of Porsches. (laughs) Hair gels. (laughs) Exactly. And a lot of local bands never breaking because they didn't. Couldn't. They couldn't. It was like, that was such a bipolar time. Mm -hmm. You were a local band or you were signed and you were a national act. And there was nothing in between. Yeah. Rarely was there, you know. Um, but I just think about like that golden album of the heyday in the long run will be a very narrow time. Mm-hmm. So either we can get romantic about that or we can get real about that, mm-hmm. you know, and we can adapt. Mm-hmm. And my friends who talk about blah, blah, blah on streaming, it's like you can still have your music on Spotify. Like nobody's stopping you from pressing CDs. Nobody's stopping you from pressing vinyl. Nobody's stopping you from putting your whole discography on Bandcamp for a certain price. There's so many things that you can still do as an artist to monetize your work that are in your best interest that you can control. And then you can continually reinvent and change your mind. Yeah. And I am a firm believer that this is still the best era ever for the independent musician. Yeah. And I think, I hope it will continue to get better. Sure. I would say, I think the two counterpoints to just like streaming is just to some extent it's been, does devalue music, right? hundred percent. But the discoverability is amazing. So I think the lesson inside of that is if you're an artist and you have built up some fans or you have music that's good enough to really attract people, It's not necessarily always in your best interest to send your fans to Spotify sure. or, you know, and another term would be like the music meat market. If you're mm-hmm. sending someone to Spotify and they listen to one single and then they're dumped into the algorithm, mm-hmm. that's really not in your best interest. So right. I'm advocating for artists to sort of take their power back, building landing pages, building mm-hmm. musical, you know, digital multimedia world experiences capture that audience, Mm -hmm. get them to sign up for an email or try to sell them a a piece of vinyl or merch and develop and nurture that relationship and give them a place where they can connect with you and you alone. Mm -hmm. You know, we wouldn't just send, if I'm a business, I don't send my customers to Facebook. I want to pull them from Facebook. So if people discover you on these streaming platforms, that's amazing. But as a marketing campaign, like, we can do better. And I yes. think I think there's a lot of people that have gotten really lazy with the fan links and these other things. It's just like people, if 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 I want to listen to a cloud chord song and I go on Spotify and listen to it, that's great. Mm-hmm. But when you're rolling out a new piece of music, mm-hmm. is that the best we can do? And I, I do right. think Spotify and other platforms know this and they will work on giving us more tools. Sure. But it's also headed down this like TikTok direction. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, like yeah. just added this on Spotify where you can like, flick through your new releases like it's yeah. a feed and right that's kind of that that's if if people find you and they love it that's great but it also is like that's that's intense that's right. intense that's so just a ten- disposable yeah it's very yeah. disposable and it feels like a meat market and 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 you know there's there's a lot of pros and cons to it so right. i mean i'm not advocating that we shouldn't use spotify but it's like make these platforms work for us right rather than i feel like a lot of artists are getting in this trap where I need to release a single. I need to release a single. And it feels like they're working for the platform. Yes. You know? Yes. And so I think you've done a I good agree. job of, of understanding that, especially kind of with that methodology of like, it's, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm not going to invest $10,000 into, you know, this marketing and PR and rollout. And right. that's, I think maybe where some of the lessons are where we sure. don't have to go so far. You can release more often, but, to, for certain kinds of music, I think that works well. Certain kinds of genres, it maybe doesn't. Understandable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think like what you're saying of like how to do better, a, a couple things. I remember 
when Skrillex and Diplo did Jack You. Mm -hmm. And there was this whole thing of whether they were going to be able to have their music on SoundCloud at the time. Mm. And Skrillex was a big proponent of he wanted that album on SoundCloud. People were like, why? Because you're not making money. It was before like repost about SoundCloud and they were monetizing it. And he was like, well, he's like, I think of myself as a bread maker and I want my bread to be in every store. Yeah. And I thought that was really great. And he said, just, it, I'm not telling everybody what store to go to. I'm just giving them the options so sure. they can go to any store. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of actually when you do a fan link, for those of you at home that don't know what a fan link is, it's basically when you release an album, you have a link that represents the album. Yep. And if you do it well, you can put, do as many stores as you want and you can do the order that the stores come up. So mm-hmm. you can like put your band cam on top. You could put your own website at top. You could put your mailing list sign up at top. So you could prioritize it the way you want to see it. Yep. So you can still have Spotify and Apple in there. Yeah. But like I have some friends of, or some fans of mine that are like friends that went to college with my mom and they use Amazon. And to me, that was always the thing of like, got to have the Amazon because I know those guys are going to go to Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I have friends that listen to me on Tidal. I don't make that much on Tidal yet, but always got to put the title on there. Yep. And I've seen like, I saw somebody on uh, like one of the bigger indies drop a record recently and it was a full album and the fan link only had Spotify and Apple. And I'm like, you should know better. What's the point? Yeah. Why even do it at that point? Yeah. Yeah, I guess my biggest gripe with these fan links is when I go there from a visual perspective, it feels just like a bunch of logos for a bunch of corporations. Oh, sure, sure. And for an artist making art and music, I feel like I don't like that impression. I I think that we can, I I think it should be art first. So what would you want to see when you go to that link? I would would say make use of the multimedia world that we live in. So uh-huh. I would probably say video, video uh-huh. tied to music and there's an experience there. Mm-hmm. And then there's a follow-up and then we're, we're asking people to join a community and be a part of and be a fan. So like that idea, and I think you've done this as, you know, a thousand true fans, right? Like you can have a million streams a month on Spotify, but that, and this applies to the lo-fi world, that doesn't mean you might sell tickets. You and probably you won't. and you might not <laughs> and you might not sell any merch. Right. So so all of your eggs are in that basket. Yeah. And if Spotify changes the algorithm, and we've seen this again and again with with everything, like what do we do when we outlaw TikTok? There's going to be so many people that are going to be left out in the cold Unemployed. and like yeah, they built uh-huh. their whole career on that one platform. Right. We've seen that again and again. We saw that with MySpace. We saw that with Facebook, which yeah. never really wanted to ever give you know, musicians much of a voice or let them upload their music. Right. So, and we saw that with the trouble with SoundCloud. It was like, for a minute, I think we all thought they were just going to go out of business. And, and, you know, I think they maybe have righted the ship, but they forgot who their customers were. Mm -hmm. You know, they wanted to play in the major streaming world. And and it was like, I don't think you guys have the, I want to, I don't think we even need that. And there's plenty of people already doing that. It's like we, we as paying customers should have been the priority again and again. So, right. So yeah, what's, what's a perfect landing page. I think it depends on the project and I think it depends Mm -hmm. on the artist and what you're trying to say, Mm -hmm. but there's like, we miss liner notes. We miss the reading the lyrics or behind the Mm -hmm. scenes. I think you have a lot of opportunity to take people on a journey and really Mm -hmm. tell the story so music, video first, mm-hmm. and then give them away, the fan, or maybe the 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 not a fan yet, but hopeful fan, mm-hmm. a way to dig in and really understand who you are and connect with you on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's missing right now. There are right. tools and people out there doing it, but it's not <coughs> it's it's higher effort. It's way sure. higher effort than a fan link. So right. but I think if you're someone that's like, hey, I'm gonna do a, a single a month. Then and people are just like loving that, and you kind of have your audience trained to do that, and that works for you. That's great. So mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I'm definitely not saying that you shouldn't use fan links. I just think there's a there's, there's more, more to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially in the fan relationship and the fan journey. Like think about your favorite. You know, one of your favorite artists where you didn't know about them all the way to the journey of where you were were willing to open your wallet and buy a ticket or buy a a hat or a shirt. Right. There's a lot that happens between that. Right. And I think that's where that fan link journey is missing because it's like, there's so much more to dig in and there's, we have so many more tools than we ever had to share 
these things. Right. So that's that's my that's my like soapbox. What's coming up next? So what's coming up next? I know you got an album. Got an album come out. It's called Bloom Bap, 14 songs. Woo. Um probably the most feature laden lease release I've ever had. Yeah. I mean, I think out of the 14, there's maybe three solo tunes. Okay. So lots of guests. Um like Emancipator, Big Gigantic, Charisma, uh, Adam Deitch of Lettuce. That's awesome. Some Lo-Fi Cats, Chantel's on a track. Yes. Um, it kind of goes on and on. Prob Cause, Braxton Cook. Um, so doing that, I'm pretty excited about that. Do we have a release date? Is that- um, it's this Friday. What's the date on that? <laughs> the 24th or something? Yeah. So okay. So it'll be out when this has out. Yeah. By the, yeah. By the time this airs, it'll be out. Well, awesome. Well, congrats, man. I mean, those are some real collabs. I mean, your song with Big Gigantic's already out. Mm-hmm. They're you know multiple Red Lo- Red Rocks headlining, you know, national touring. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that I think that shows the respect that you have in the community for people of what you've been able to create and, right. and bring to the table. Obviously, Emancipators, I think that's a match made in heaven right sure, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've played Lap Steel on his records and then what was, what was this stuff. What's this tune like? Um, this one is called Junior High Dance and it's like, <laughs> it's like Dilla beats meets like 50s or 60s dance music. Mm. Uh, like, uh, like almost like what they'd be playing at the dance in the Back to the Future scene. Okay. You know, before he went rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> before he jams the, the Chuck Berry <laughs> solo. It's like during Earth Angel when like his hands are becoming invisible and he's disappearing from the <laughs> We'll picture. definitely roll that clip. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, so you've got the new record and then and then any other plans? Anything else? Yeah, so um, then... Several just releases here and there, like with me as a guitarist on other people's beats. Um, this summer, I'm dropping an EP with a Haitian drummer and singer named Jeff Pierre. Mm. And that'll be cool. Um, it's a little more upbeat, a little more up-tempo, but still like very much the cloud chord vibe. Like he does all the percussion and the vocals on it. Um, and that's fun. And How did you connect with him? We connected on Instagram. Uh, nice. We were like mutual fans of each other. And uh, he, uh, one day I just posted this video and it was, the ta- caption was four chords and the truth. And he wrote me back and he's like, yo, this is sick. He's like, will you send me this? And the funny thing is I didn't, I didn't actually record it into the DAW. It was literally like a phone video, okay. like my amp in the room, right? And so I was like, just rip the video because I don't have anything. So he did, and he made a whole song out of it. He wow. sped it up and changed the key. And it's like one of the best tunes on our record. And the oh, funny thing amazing. is the guitar is from that video. I just kept it. Wow. Because it had the energy. There you go. You know what I mean? Wow. Wow. That's a great story. Wow. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the fact that we have something in our pocket that can record that well that then someone got through right. a social media network and then was able to rip and build a song out of is amazing. Right. I love that. So it's got this like world world vibe to it. Yeah, this world beat vibe. Right. It's like a little more like in the the disco or house territory as far as speed goes. Okay. Um still very much me. It's like when Bonobo does house. Yeah. You know, um, it's like really beautiful and stuff like that. It's not like I'm making like bass house or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so I think that'll be a really cool project. Um, and let's see what else. Like working on the album with the, with the biscuits. They're bringing me to Iceland to play a couple shows. So that'd nice. be cool. Nice. So, and later this year I'll be rolling out um, and hopefully with you, we'll see like a whole education side brand. Yes. It's very much yes. in the germination stage. Like right now, yeah. I'm just, I have so many ideas Yeah, that really what I need to do is like, just, I need to finish a few projects so that I can really focus on yeah. it, you know? Um, and that's something that's exciting. When you've been too. a guitar have you done guitar teacher and have you done Ableton lessons before? Tons. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So you're, I think that's really key. Yeah. That's exciting, man. I'm really excited to help you with that. And I guess for, for anybody listening, like 
I've helped a number of music educators. I've helped Ill Gates mm-hmm. with his platform. Um, I, I've helped Vespers with Warp Academy before. Obviously, we have Gravitas Create. Mm-hmm. And then Anthony Thogmartin from mm-hmm. Papadozio. We helped him with his brand and Seed some of his... Yes, yeah, he just stage. So that's something I'm really passionate about. And that kind of blends my two worlds of music and and web design and, and digital media. So right. yeah, man, that's going to be a, that's going to be an awesome project. <laughs> right. And that's actually one of those things, you know, we talk about like you don't get too many fresh starts in some ways, this is a fresh start, mm. but what I've learned is like with this round and this particular project, like I could totally do the whole thing alone. It would take way longer, sure, but I could, and I could just take a hundred percent of gross. Yeah. And call it a day. Call it a day. You know? yeah. But what I've learned through working with people like yourself and my management is, you know, sometimes it's better to give up a piece of the pie because that pie is way bigger and it's way more vibrant and it has more nutrients and it reaches more people. And that's the idea that I want to have is like one of my managers is like convinced that within two years, this will like eclipse my entire artist career. It possibly could. Because it'd be more wide reaching. Yeah. You know, like, and that's the thing is like, like what a lot of people don't know about me is like, yeah, cloud core is chill and melodic, but like me as a teacher, like I've taught kids how to play metal tunes. I've taught kids how to make SoundCloud trap. Yeah. I've taught people how to do bass drops. You know, I may not be doing it for my own artistic career, but I can, I have the skills now to where I can decode something, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So in yep. a lot of um, like m- one of my visions too was like, to combine instrumentalism with production. Like I want to have both of those. I want to have like a chill hop, lo-fi, neo-soul guitar track that's part of it that you could do that. And then there's also an Ableton production thing. And yeah, you know, have it be wide, wide varied. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And I think, I think probably as, as you get, as we get into it, as you get into it, they'll, you will find even the niche inside of that, right? Sure. There is, there is going to be, there's a lot of music education out there. Mm-hmm. And then I think there you'll find something inside of that that will really, you know, light you up. And, and uh, yeah, man, that's exciting. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I can't wait to figure out what the brand is going to be, the name of it. So. Probably Dab Academy. Or Dab, the Dab Academy. <laughs> Well, brother, it has been absolutely awesome sitting down with yeah. you. Yeah, man. You want to take us out with a, a lick? Sure. I'll see. All right. Thank y'all. Catch you on the next one.